Welcome back to Footsteps in the Attic, the podcast dedicated to all things strange and paranormal. Happy Halloween to all my listeners out there, and I want to wish everyone a very scary night tonight. I uh, have to start off by making a slight correction. In the last episode, I noticed I accredited Steven Spielberg as writing Christine. I meant Stephen King, of course. There's a big difference between the two, so I just wanted to make that correction before I dive into today's topic. Since it is Halloween, I want to talk about one of the most iconic and terrifying cases in paranormal and film history, and it is the story of the real-life exorcist. This has somewhat of a personal connection with me because I am friends with Ralph Sarchi, who actually studied with Father Bowden, who is one of the famous priests who dealt battle with the demon that was harassing the little boy in the actual case. Many of you, of course, have seen the iconic film where a 12-year-old girl named Regan is infested and possessed by a demon, Zozo, a.k.a. Captain Howdy, in the movie. And um, the real case is somewhat different, although it does follow the same theme in terms of a demon does come forth through the use of a Ouija board. In the real story, it was a 13-year-old boy. His name is believed to have been Ronald Hunkeler, but he would go by the pseudonym as the story was told and retold of Ronald Doe. And he was despondent over the loss of his beloved aunt Harriet. Now Harriet, much like in the movie The Exorcist, was a spiritualist who taught the young boy, many things, including how to use a Ouija board. And, of course, Ronald would frequently use this board and developed a relationship with a friend on the board, a.k.a. a spirit. And we all know that this friend was not a friend at all. It was, in fact, a demon communicating with the boy to ultimately possess, infest, and control the boy. In early January of 1949, shortly after his aunt's death, Ronald began to experience very strange things in his home. He heard scratching sounds coming from the floors, and he would hear terrifying pounds and scratchings in the wall of his very own home. Water dripped inexplicably from pipes and walls and most troubling of all which you all saw in the actual case uh, the actual film I should say was that his mattress would flip and rattle and shake every night and he couldn't do anything about it now it would stop the minute he would try to jump out of the bed and his feet would hit the floor no action. It would just be peaceful. And if he would go to his parents and try to point something out, 
Same thing, it looked fine. But the minute he tried to settle in, and he was just starting to get comfortable at night, the bed would start rattling all over again on its own. Ronald's family eventually saw and heard this phenomenon, and they sought the help of every expert that there was. They consulted doctors and psychiatrists and even their local Lutheran minister, but they weren't really getting any help. This minister suggested that the family seek the assistance of the Jesuits, and Father Albert Hughes, he was a local Catholic priest, asked his superiors to perform an exorcism on the boy in February of 1949, and the church ultimately agreed that Father Albert Hughes could perform the exorcism. The problem was Father wasn't as experienced in this field and didn't quite know the power of this force that he was dealing with. So Hughes strapped the boy to the mattress and he began his, you know, recitations. And he had to stop the writ of exorcism when Ronald, in a fit of rage, was able to break off a piece of the mattress spring and slash the priest across his shoulders. He also slashed his arm, leaving the exorcism totally unfinished and at the same time permanently injuring Father Hughes. A few days later, after this incident, red scratches appeared on the boy. One of these scratches formed the word Lewis, which ultimately indicated to Ronald's mother that the family needed to go to St. Louis, where the Hunkelers had relatives, to find some way to save their son. A cousin of the family was attending St. Louis University at the time of Ronald's troubles, and she put the Hunkelers in touch with Father Walter Hallowen and Reverend William Bowder. After consulting with the university's president, the two were able to perform an exorcism on young Ronald with the help of many assistants, because you should never enter an exorcism as Father Hughes did alone. Um, It will not end well. I can tell you from having many conversations with Ralph that you always need muscle. In fact, um, Ralph himself would always describe himself as God's muscle. You need somebody to help you battle this force because demons have unbelievable strength and they have supernatural abilities. So the men all gathered at the residence on Roanoke Drive in March of 1949. And there... Every one of these people witnessed the scratchings on the boy's body and the mattress moving violently, flipping around. Um, It looked like one of those mechanical bolts. I mean, literally, you could not control it. These were the same types of things that happened when the first exorcism failed. And amongst these bizarre happenings, they noticed a pattern in Ronald's behavior. He was calm and normal during the day, but at night, after Ronald settled in, he would start to exhibit the strange, violent, and scary behavior, and he would scream and almost howl in wild outbursts, and also speaking in languages that he could not possibly know. Ronald would also enter into a trance-like state and start making sounds in a guttural voice, 
The priests also noted that they saw objects mysteriously flying in the boy's presence and noted that he would react violently when he saw any type of sacred object or holy water. All of these details come straight from the diary of Father Bowden. Bowden reportedly even saw a X and X appear in scratches on Ronald's chest, which the priest believed signified the number 10. And in another incident, a pitchfork-shaped pattern of red lines moved from the boy's thigh and wrapped down toward his ankle. And these types of things happened every night for more than a month. Once a red X appeared on Ronald's chest, leading the priest to believe that he was possessed by, in fact, 10 demons. Yes, 10 demons. Now, of course, the two main priests never gave up, and they continued to try to exercise this boy night after night. And on the evening of March 20th, the exorcism reached an unhealthy and scary new level. Ronald actually urinated all over his bed. And not just, you know, normal urine. This was like soaked the mattress. And he began shouting and cursing at the priests. And every time they would try to perform the exorcism, he was able to spit right in their mouth. Like these, this awful, like, you know how like when you're a little kid and you... I'm trying to find a delicate term, but there's no other term for it. Where you hock a loogie. <laughs> I mean, it would spit. He would project it right into their faces as if he was like a sharpshooter with it. And he would, it was just foul. And it was like vomit. It was uh, basically the demons love anything foul and nasty. So it was to a, a supernatural level that it was being used in this exorcism to actually try to distract and mortify the priests. And now Ronald's parents had had enough and they took him to the Alexian Brothers Hospital in St. Louis for more serious treatment. And finally, on the night of April 18th, a miracle occurred in Ronald's room at the Alexian Brothers facility. It was the Monday after Easter, and Ronald had seizures. He yelled at the priests, saying that Satan would always be with him. The priests laid holy relics and crucifixes and medals and rosaries all over the boy. And at 10.45 that evening, the attending priests called on St. Michael in a very powerful and forceful way to expel Satan from Ronald's body. They shouted at Satan, saying that St. Michael would battle him for Ronald's soul. And seven minutes later, Ronald came out of this trance, and he just said very calmly, he's gone. And the boy recounted that he had this vision of St. Michael vanquishing Satan, basically beating the hell out of him, literally, on a great battlefield. And according to Bowdern and Halloran, the strange occurrences and behavior totally stopped after that, and Ronald Hunkeler went on to live a completely normal life from that moment forward. And I should also note that um, the facility where this exorcism occurred was boarded up, and I believe the home where it took place was sold it was either in 2005 or it was 2015 for something like $170,000. So 
Whoever bought that home was probably aware of its history because it was, it became anyway somewhat of a local attraction, a local phenomenon, much like the Amityville Horror House is today. So, yes, this house is still standing where the devil himself once took residence. Now, for those of you who want to read more about what actually happened in the case of the true exorcist, I would highly encourage you to read the book Possessed. It literally is taken directly from the diary of Father Bowdern. And the details I'm giving you are basically the Cliff's Notes version. It goes in much greater detail, and I highly suggest you giving it a read. But it will disturb you. I think that's it for this Halloween edition of Footsteps in the Attic. And for all of you who are going trick-or-treating tonight, be careful and look around because the boogeyman lives tonight. For Footsteps in the Attic, this is Brian Hobson. We'll see you next week.